This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. This is an RNZ podcast. They say life is stranger than fiction. You see Wolverine get hit or he gets propelled or someone drops a car on him. At one point, he's in the middle of a nuclear explosion. Um, and every time this happens, he gets up and walks away without a, without a single broken bone. But sometimes what we see in movies or read in books is so incredible that it obviously couldn't be possible. Or could it? But this is Wolverine we're talking about here, right? He's a mutant. He's a superhero. He can carry a bit of weight. And in fact, a number of the stories talk about the fact that his skeleton is really heavy and he stands on things and crushes them. Welcome to Sci-Fi Sci-Fact. I'm Brian Crump, and this is a podcast where we take science fiction's strangest ideas, weirdest elements, most unfeasible plot drivers, and explore if they could actually happen in real life. Maybe they already have. And in every episode, we bring in a scientist from New Zealand's McDiamond Institute to explain the theories behind some of fiction's more fantastic flights of fancy, if any theory exists. In this episode, Dr. Chris Bumby, Principal Scientist at Victoria University of Wellington's Robinson Institute and Associate Investigator at the McDiamond Institute, gives us his scientific take on adamantium, the indestructible metal that makes up the skeleton of the mutant X-Man hero, Wolverine. Generals, welcome. Today, we're going to witness medical history. Today, we're going to create Weapon X. We're about to begin bonding adamantium to Weapon X's skeleton. Let's begin. Wolverine is one of these characters that the comic authors seem to come back to time and time again. Um, so there's 50 or 60 years worth of storylines about this character, which aren't all entirely self-consistent. Um, but particularly with the recent films and whatever else, uh, there's some clear storyline around um, Wolverine, who is this mutant who has the superpower of being able to heal. Uh, and because he has the superpower of being able to heal, he gets taken in by um, a secret government agency who decide to turn him into this super weapon by injecting um, a material into him which fuses to his bones. And this true adamantium fuses to his bones to form this indestructible metal skeleton which goes throughout his body and um, also forms these claws, these retractable claws on his hands, which he's able to push out when he's angry and he can slash and pierce through any other material, including 
other steel plate or any other metal or ceramic or whatever else he comes up ah, so it's not entirely what's going on in his body as a result of his, his mutation it's also to do with a chemical they're able to or a substance they're able to inject into him certainly some villainous biochemists uh, were able to <laughs> in, inject this material into him and take advantage of the fact that he was basically unkillable and so by because he was unkillable they can put this this ridiculous material into him that um fuses to form this unbreakable um framework it, it can't be bent it can't be fractured it can't be scratched by any other material so at various times in, in the movies and, and the comics um you see wolverine get hit or he gets propelled or someone drops a car on him at one point he's in the middle of a nuclear explosion um and every time this happens he gets up and walks away without a without a single broken bone um adamantium is a word that, that clearly comes from the, the root adamant, which means unmovable. Uh, and historically, the word adamant has been used to refer to diamond. Uh, and you think talk about things having an adamantine luster, if they look and shine like diamond. But the challenge with diamond is that although it's really hard, so it's really good at scratching things, it's not actually very tough. And so this is the point where we have to be quite accurate in our use of language. And scientists get a bit pedantic about this, but we get pedantic about it because we want to avoid confusion. Yeah. And so specifically here, we have, we have materials that are strong, we have materials that are tough, and we have materials that are hard, and they are not the same thing. Really? So a hard material can scratch another material. Diamond's excellent at scratching stuff. Anyone who's got a diamond wedding ring will know you can scratch your glass. You can scratch anything with diamond. Mm -hmm. We use a diamond scribe in, the, in our lab to scratch markings on materials. And there's diamond-coated saw blades, which are great at cutting through because they scratch and abrade. But if you stick a diamond on an anvil and give it a whack with a hammer, you end up with a shattered diamond. And that's because a diamond is not very tough. And so toughness is a measurement of how much energy your material can absorb before it breaks and, and cracks and fractures. And so what you want for a tough material is actually a material that can absorb quite a lot of energy, usually by some way of deforming. So that requires that you've got a material that is what we call ductile. So this, this means it can stretch and, and, and deform into a new shape and absorbs a lot of the mechanical energy that, um, that was imposed upon it in the first place. What does strong mean? So strength is actually the simplest concept of the lot. Strength is just the amount of force, the absolute amount of force you can take, any material can take without breaking. And, that, and so breaking means to failure. Uh, and so strength, there is a, there's a quirk to this in that you can have strength as a compressive strength. Strength, as, as that means when you're pushing on it. So uh, you can have strength as a tensile strength. So that's when you're pulling on it. And you can have strength as a flexural or bending strength when you bend it. They're not necessarily the same for any material. Um, so a good example of that is concrete. Concrete's great. You can stand on concrete. You can build huge um, buildings of concrete, and it, you're not going to crush it. It's really good under compression. But if you pull on a piece of concrete, it's actually quite easy to pull the particles of concrete apart, and it's got mm. very low tensile strength. Which is why in earthquakes you've got to have steel inside the concrete or else the skyscraper exactly. falls down. That's exactly what, why you have to do that. The steel gives the tensile strength and holds the whole thing together. What then mm -hmm. do you think adamantium is? Is it trying to be all three of those things? Well, that seems to be the basic idea. And in, 
material science, that's actually really hard to do. This business about being hard um, often comes with exactly what you don't want for a tough material. So a hard material doesn't deform, it scratches, um, but that means it tends to be brittle. It tends to fail by shattering. If we want a tough material that deforms, well, the problem there is that as it deforms, it can often be a lot weaker and it's certainly a lot softer. Silly putty is a really good example of this. Silly putty is not a strong or a hard material, right? It's really soft and whatever else, but actually it's relatively hard to break because it just keeps stretching or <laughs> so it actually absorbs bucket loads of energy it's quite tough um and so when we understand what these concepts mean properly uh, that helps us um get th th them in order and understand what we're looking for so for adamantium we're looking for something that is strong and as hard as possible and as tough as possible. So particularly that hard and toughness is, an, is a tricky thing to trade off. Is there anything but, that gets even remotely close to what Wolverine appears to have coursing through his veins or in his skeleton? Well, the metals are the place to start, right? So the comic book writers say this is a metal alloy, and whilst they may not be material scientists, they've got that right. It has to be a metal. Um, <clears throat> uh, and there are some relatively hard, strong metals out there. And at this point, I think it's worth just taking a, a step back into real life and remi reminding ourselves that actually there are millions and millions and millions of people walking around on the planet today that have bits of metal stuck in their skeleton. Hip replacements, knee replacements, various other orthopedic operations all rely on metal bone implants um, to hold everybody together. And the dominant material for doing that is actually a really cool material. It's a titanium aluminium vanadium alloy, sometimes called TIE64. And we're going to call it TIE64 here just because it's quick. And this is the has the highest um, strength to weight ratio of any known metal alloy. So as a first port of call, it's not actually a bad option at all. It's also as metals go, relatively hard. It's not as hard as diamond. Um, none of the metals are as hard as diamond, but it's it's a really amazing material. Uh, and one of the things I think that's worth noting is that at about the point that Marvel Comics was starting to write the Wolverine stories in the 70s, um, titanium alloy technology was really taking off. And it was taking off because of the Cold War. So both in Russia and the US, there was a big race on around all sorts of technologies related to weapons and missiles and planes and whatever else. And this titanium, aluminium, vanadium alloy in particular was uh, very heavily used in a number of the US Air Force um, processes uh, and, and planes. Um, and the US military actually had it as a strategic um, military important material that they kept a national stockpile of through to the mid 80s, I believe. However, Chris, you said first port of call. And that suggests to mm -hmm. me that there's a catch. Well, the question always is, can you do better? Um, and so the, the comics and the movies advertise this material as being indestructible. Right? So indestructible needs a number of things. We've talked about the fact that it has to be able to be mechanically strong. It also means um, that it doesn't corrode. Now, actually, titanium and vanadium doesn't corrode. It hangs around in the human body, and it's pretty wet inside the human body, but yeah. it's fine, and hip replacements will last a long time. Corrosion is not their problem. The other thing that I think we need to be, be wary of uh, uh, if it's indestructible means that it can survive heating. So it, w w one of the things we learn about adamantium is that once it's been set into this original position, it can never be reformed. 
Um, it doesn't matter how hot you get it, it won't remelt. It's not a recyclable material. Um, so once you've got your adamantium, it's there. And so that's that's a bit of an issue with some of the alloy, metal alloys in that as you mix more and more metals together, you always bring the melting point down. Um, and so something like titanium alum vanadium has a melting point about 1300 centigrade. Even if we went to just pure um, titanium, it's about 1650. Now that's hot. Mm, um, that's going to kill me, isn't it? Steel is about 1500 centigrade, and that's about six times the temperature of your domestic oven. So it's pretty hot. Um, but for example, when we see Wolverine in the center of the nuclear explosion, I think we can assume that that's a lot hotter still. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and so I'm not sure that titanium alum vanadium would necessarily take that. If we want to go for something that has the highest melting feasibly think of and is also really strong and doesn't corrode, then actually there's one, only one port of call amongst the metals, and that is to go to tungsten. Now, tungsten is a pretty awesome metal. It's an element, for starters, by itself. Um, it, it's element number 74, I think, on the, on the table, which does mean it's quite dense. It's a really heavy metal. Uh, so that's one of the reasons why that and the fact it's quite expensive. It's only used in some fairly specific applications in the world around us. But this is Wolverine we're talking about here, right? He's a mutant. He's a superhero. He can carry a bit of weight. And in fact, a number of the stories talk about the fact that his skeleton is really heavy and he stands on things and crushes them and falls through floors and people can't pick him up. Ah, but his muscle um, can still handle the weight, even though the floor underneath him can't. That's right. That's right. So maybe a bit heavy isn't a problem. Tungsten, however in its pure form, is amazingly strong. It's about three times the strength of mild steel. It's just about the strongest metal out there. And it's very hard already. So uh, it is a little bit brittle for a metal, um, but that's not that brittle, really. It will just crack a little bit if you're trying to mill it. If we really want to address that and go for the ultimate solution, then what we can do is we can mix in just a tiny amount of iron and nickel into it. And that just jiggles around in the lattice of the, of the, um, the tungsten atoms uh, and toughens them up and gives them a bit more opportunity to deform a little bit under, under force. And then you end up with a really tough material as well. And so that's called dense alloy, that material. It's about 97% tungsten, 95% tungsten, with just a little bit of iron and nickel in it as well. And you can understand why it's called dense alloy, right? It's it's a really heavy, dense stuff. It's two and a half times as heavy as um, steel. It's half as heavy again as lead. It's really heavy stuff, um, but it's really strong. It melts at well over 3,000 degrees centigrade. Tungsten's 3,440 3, degrees centigrade. So that's second only to carbon in the entire uh, periodic table nothing else melts higher than that that's more than half the temperature of the sun incidentally so when you make uh, uh things out of tungsten or, or or dense alloy you 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 don't melt them and cast them what you do is you get a powder and you heat that powder up and it sinters so it, so the solid particles join together and that's what you've got and they're pretty difficult to machine afterwards so you try and get this powder into exactly the right shape before you start and then you consolidate it together and that's it you're, you're away what do we use it for chris in real life well the fact it's so heavy is a bit of a challenge so it tends to be used for quite specialist applications which are stationary um and the most obvious one actually doesn't so much make use of its strength as it makes use of its density so it's used for radiation shielding um in nuclear power stations and also in medical radiation well that'd be so. handy for wolverine if he's standing next to an atomic bomb isn't it 
Well, they? there you go. <laughs> Another added advantage. More to the point, everybody else can stand behind him, right? Um, <laughs> you'll come across tungsten drill bits and whatever else in uh, in the hardware shop. Now, that's interesting because they're not actually made of pure tungsten. Um, more often than not, what you find if you look at uh, a drill bit that advertises itself as a tungsten drill bit is that actually it's it's a tungsten carbide material, which is a ceramic. And what they've done is they've taken this tungsten carbide and they've set it into another metal to make the drill bit, which leads to a possibility for uh, when we're thinking about Wolverine's claws here. So if we've got Wolverine and he's got this dense alloy, almost pure tungsten with a little bit of other stuff um, in him inside his skeleton, and then he's got these claws that come out, which are already pretty hard, um, but perhaps over time might blunt a bit if we keep punching them through inch thick steel plates. What we could do is we could then take those claws and we could just expose them to a bit of um, carbon, probably in quite a high temperature reaction uh, to do this. That's certainly how we do it in, uh, in the real world. Um, and we'd form a, layer, a thin layer of tungsten carbide on the surface of, of these claws. Now, the thing about hardness is, it, is it's a surface um, property by and large. Uh, so all we have to do is change just a, a few hundred microns, so fractions of a millimeter of, of, the, of, this, of the surface layer of this metal, and we can make it even harder than it already is. And we can, in fact, make it into a type of material known as a surmet. And that's what all these tungsten carbide uh, drill bits are. So these surmets are really good at being both tough and hard. One last question, Chris. How mm -hmm. would our clever scientists in the white coats have got this adamantium into Wolverine in the first place? Because surely it would have to have been a liquid to get into him. That's a very good question. In fact, <laughs> such a good question. I got asked it by a 10-year-old at dinner time last night. <laughs> so, Is this where it all falls right. over, Chris? No, it's not. No, it's not. So it... Firstly, we've just agreed that we can't melt tungsten, right? It's already at three and a half thousand degrees C. There's nothing we can hold it in. Anything we try and put it in will also melt. Um, secondly, even if we've got Wolverine with superhuman powers and we're pumping th something at three and a half thousand degrees centigrade into him, the moment it gets to the end of our needle or nozzle, it's just going to cool down and set. So it's not going to get anywhere near his bones. So I think we have to say we're not pumping in a molten metal. What we must be doing is pumping in some other sort of material that contains tungsten, in this case, atoms in some sort of um, chemical. And these, this, we call this a precursor. So for all sorts of uh, chemical reactions and materials, we start with precursor chemicals that contain the material we want to finish up with. And what we then do is we form them into the shape or whatever it is we want. And then we undergo a reaction that gives us the material we want. Now, tungsten is a pretty tricky. Um, but in principle, we could think about pumping in um, chemicals containing tungsten in, with some other probably organic molecules on the outside to make them liquid. And then we can pump that in and it can find its way to his bones um, and bond there. And then over time, it can sinter itself together. So that's that molecular level. The other way of doing it, which has been demonstrated, so I've ne never heard of anyone doing that with tungsten generally, and definitely not in someone's body. Um, in fact, I've never heard of anyone trying to fuse metal to anyone's body this way before, and I wouldn't recommend it. But um, the other way we might consider doing this is if we started with very small nanocrystals of tungsten. 
And then we can treat those just like big molecules of tungsten. And we can, again, coat them up in, in some other uh, bits of molecule to make them dissolve into, into, a, into a solvent, into a liquid that we can inject, um, probably into water if we're going to put it into somebody else. And then we inject it into their bloodstream and we rely on those chemicals around the outside of the particle to go looking for bone cells and bond to the bone cells. And then when we've got enough of it in, we can activate it. There's all sorts of ways we could possibly activate that with some sort of external signal, maybe a radio frequency signal or a microwave. Or it's, 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 it's Wolverine. We could probably microwave him. Um, uh, and, <laughs> and, and coat it round his bones. Chris, it's been fascinating talking with you. I do, at the end of all this, feel rather sorry for Wolverine. I think it's, <laughs> he's got a tough life. <laughs> I understand why he's a bit grumpy. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of Sci-Fi, Sci-Fact, hosted by me, Brian Crump, produced by Andrew Robertson, and of course, made possible thanks to the incredible knowledge of those brilliant scientists in the Dialog Institute. You can find more episodes of Sci-Fi Sci-Fact on the RNZ Podcasts page. RNZ Podcasts are also available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or pretty much wherever you might find your podcasts. And make sure to follow us so you don't miss out on any new episodes. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.